I was born in Santa Fe and um, grew up in that area. Uh, my dad always lived in the city of Santa Fe, and then my mom and I lived more north and moved around a lot, uh, but always lived in this area. Um, so this is where I'm currently based. Uh, I am constantly kind of in conversation with my identity, and I feel like identity is what you do. But in working that out, I guess, or in that conversation, um, things that I used to describe myself or um, I identify as uh, transgender and non-binary. Those are words I used to describe myself. I come from sort of like an interesting and twisted lineage. <laughs> um, I It's like always a conversation um, with my family, with myself, um, with my community. My mom's side of the family is... Norwegian and German for the most part that's kind of what I inherited from her and then my dad's family is Welsh and then my grandpa um, my dad's dad was adopted in Kansas City in 1925 or 6 and through conversations research through just my experiences growing up and always being like you look different you know like you look like a mixed kid like what's your deal um starting to do like that work um, as a, when I was a late teenager in my early 20s around um, that family history and my grandfather being native, um, but coming from this sort of very assimilated and very much like, um, very much believing that's true, but also understanding that it's very complicated and this um, relationship to you know, what people say is Native American or how people talk about that is um, very complex and also, like, especially from outsiders, very, very um, oversimplified. And um, so I have a lot of complexity with talking about that or claiming that and knowing that I've also sort of always existed as this funny mixed kid <laughs> in a lot of ways just in terms of the ways that people have identified me and also where I've found my community um, and been able to find out how to talk about these issues which are really intense historical issues um, and they've shaped my life a lot and will continue to um, but as far as like identifying as white or identifying as native or identifying as mixed um, I tend to wonder about the social constructs in which those exist, like whiteness as a creation of American history and racism and also the construction of capitalism and privilege as a way to like really steal shit and subjugate other people, you know, and like that's written in my experience too. Um, so like in that introduction, I always feel like it's actually best in this world of so much confusion and fraudulence and all these things to just be honest like I it's very confusing and it's been 
an interesting, <laughs> to say the least, journey and also really trying. It, um, it unearths a lot of like things that are very telling about our social condition at this time. And like as far as my queerness or my transness and my um, sort of gender fluidity, um, that's always been wild. I think that like for trans and queer people, um, sometimes you're treated like you're the product of you know, being emotionally and psychologically damaged and that's what makes you how you are. And that definitely was something that was placed on me when I was coming out as trans um, and even in my family and people asking all these questions. And it's really hard to relate to yourself as someone who is also in the the reality of like what's called like ritualized like transphobia and queerphobia like it's part of every facet of existence this gender binary to be like pathologized constantly you know like what happened to you or you know what does this really mean and it's like our bodies are so much more complicated in our stories and our relationships than the binaries and the um the very strict lines and oppressions um, that have been placed on us while we also have to like really navigate it the, the way that we experience like privilege within them and um, in community and like all these lines of like question and accountability and relationship um, and I think that that for me those are like the driving reasons why I guess like art is important to me because I'm like you know, I think I'm also like a kid that comes from addiction and from abuse and from complexity. And so many people I know like go into like art careers and this and that. But I'm like, one of the reasons I started making art was because I was a freaky ass kid. And I was also supported to do so, you know, like my family's creative or my, my dad, my grandpa, my aunt. And, um, you know, my mom, you know, my parents are wild because my mom cleaned houses and worked in landscaping and is just like kind of this gritty, crass motherfucker, you know, where you're like, did you just say that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then my dad is much more like, you know, well-to-do. My dad's like an architect and he's, you know, respectable. And, you know, respectability is such a weird thing, like respectability politics and who's like seen as more legit than other people and um, why that is and oftentimes like in white supremacist culture or whatever it's very much about certain kinds of prestige and it's about like how you look and it's about you know like how you what how you talk you know and so like they're both so different <laughs> and my dad what did my dad my dad said this word this morning that I can't even like I don't remember what it was it was so weird he was talking about something like being confusing and he used this word and I was like what the fuck is that word <laughs> like where did you get that and so it's like it's that dynamic but there's a lot of wisdom in both of those contrasts too um and I've also had to fight through the ways that that looks when dealing with one parent who has a lot more privilege than the other um and um what it means to sort of unpack how that ends up playing out in my own internalized belief systems and just in general, it's like, where do we get our information from and how do we process it and how does that get projected on other people, you know? And so, like, I think that there's, like, inherent creativity when you have to cross boundaries as part of your identity where you, mm -hmm. like, have to, like, step over, walk through, smash whatever the wall or the, the glass. And sometimes you can't. Like, the walls are really real, you know, and I don't ever want to, like, 
um, create like another like construct that's like you didn't smash the wall right <laughs> you know like it's like those walls are like really they're there for some really deep and troubling reasons um, generally but like you know learning how to talk to yourself you know when there's a lot of information in the world and I feel like um, I don't relate to the world really as a professional artist because art is such an inherent part of my mental health, you know, like the need to, like, I remember when I was a kid, I had a Walkman um, and I had Harry Potter on a uh, cassette tape and um, I lived in, in the kind of a situation that was really bad with my, my mom and one of her boyfriends and um, being in that situation was really hard and so I... Um, had this Walkman and I would pop in my Harry Potter tape and I put on my headphones and I would like crochet for hours. Like I was just like a crocheting machine, you know? And like, like people are like, that's so dorky or whatever. But I'm like, you know what? Like choose your survival, you know? Like that was what I chose. Like I chose to like, you know, like, like I had this friend that I would hang out with and we would like fucking like color in graph paper. Like we would get a hold of those sheets of gridded paper and we would like color in each individual square square in like different patterns, you know, and colors. And that was like, that's like, it's so carried <laughs> over into my adult life where I'm like, I'm such a random freak. Like, you know, you're like, just like, I'm one of those wingnut rando wild cards where I'm like, I'll sit down with you and tell you my story. And, you know, it's amazing because I have a lot of really genuine connections because of that. Cause I just have to come with the messiness and um what I found in that is you know I was just always so sure that I would just be totally rejected <laughs> you know like and what I found is that people are so much more tender and appreciate um authenticity and care than oftentimes they project um and love to have a real conversation about their vulnerabilities or don't like or like fuck it I'm not gonna do that but when it really comes down to it it's like people's hearts of gold like shine through, you know? Um, and so thinking about that in art is such a wild thing because it's representation also. Like we're dealing with like a very um, wild political landscape at this time in terms of um, who makes what and how that happens and who owns what and who takes ownership and who has the right to take ownership and what is ethical around what you make and where you're getting your information from and you know, it's also like some of us just do, you know, like some of us are inheriting craft from our family members in these really real, real ways where it's like, that's what we do um, and have had to navigate how they remake that or choose not to. And so for me, it's been always that conversation of like being encouraged as part of a creative family and then also not really knowing and believing in the system in which we're supposed to operate as artists um, because of all these trappings and, um, and having to also like create a political creative dialogue of like, this is what I'm working with and this is uh, my intuition and this is what I choose to talk with and respect and also like resist and that like you can be in celebration and in resistance of, of something at the same time, you know? It's like, again, like, we're doing multiple things at once that sometimes, you know, like, in Western thought or, like, or like American, like, analytical dialogue, like, could be seen as, like, opposites or whatever when really they're, like, so fused together deeply. And, like, we need more of that, you know? Things come out at night. Things come out at night. Things come out at night. 
Now my boots get dressed to go out at night. They like to wear leather jackets, chains and spikes. They wear rips and zippers all in their shirts. Real tight pants and fresh mini skirts. All kinds of colors running through their head. And you could just about spot a freak anywhere. But then again, you could know someone all their life. And might not know their freak unless you see them at night. Cause freaks come out at night. Freaks come out at night. So would you say that um, your identity plays a big role in the work that you create and influences that? Yeah, my identity is like a shit show and trying to survive and like, you know, (laughs) 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 I like trying to be like in, you know, real work with real other people, you know, it's like people are like, you know, it's identity is, is so complex and real and also like in... American systems of identity and like all the things that have happened to create the identity constructs in the U.S. are like so much more about capitalism than they are about culture, you know, and people's mm-hmm. like like spiritual belief systems and all these things. Um, and there's so much about um, dispossession and assimilation and, you know, like my identity, of course, is like fused in everything I do, you know, like and mostly in terms of my relationship to my family um, and the, the people that I know, you know, like my grandfather, um, he has this thing where he's like, yeah, I, f- I, I think a day is wasted if I haven't made something, you know? Mm. And so that is in my, just embedded in me. Like if I, if I'm not like sitting there drawing or making something or doodling something and I haven't done that every day, um, I start to feel very lonely. Um, and I start to, feel like I don't have purpose like I, I I'm not I as a teenager it was so wild to also grow be growing up around addiction and being in this um space of watching a lot of my friends start to drink a lot or smoke a lot of weed and I was like I've been around this shit in a different kind of way like and everybody's family has different relationships to that stuff but I felt like at that point in my life I had a lot of friends where I was like oh, I feel like your family has a different relationship to this than I do. And it's exciting and it's experimental, whereas for me it's something that I've been grieving Mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, And I I say that now in retrospect. At that time, of course, I didn't have that language. Um, But I, I remember the immense turmoil of being a teenager and working out all the things that were being worked out in my body, especially like as a queer person, I was, I, as I came up, I got was getting exotified more and more, you know, like I got called Pocahontas Barbie in high school, like these weird different things where I had to really separate them from myself, like realize that this is so much the projection of American pop culture. um, And it's not who I am, like who I am is this other thing. Um, And resisting it and also like uh, not knowing how to process all that information. I didn't have help from the adults in my life to do that and it took me many years to find community in which I could start to have those conversations and luckily I found people who were smart as shit and really really good people to like help me unpack that in a way that um you know also would be accountable and not damaging to other people you know um because I think a lot of people go through that and can't do it in a way that isn't hurtful to others how did you find those people um I saw them walking down the street and I was like oh my god (laughs) 
like, you fell from heaven. I have to be your friend. <laughs> just start following them around. And that's like such a theme too. Like that other thing of like, oh my God, like I'm so lucky because that's happened to me throughout my life where I've met people and I've been like, I have a weird feeling about you. And they come back around and I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, sometimes I'm like, I'm crushing so hard. Like I can't even deal with how like much I'm crushed out. and I don't even know why. And other times it's just like, wow, like, huh, you know? Um, and it's so wild that that keeps happening, but yeah, I, um, it's, it's funny. I like graduated from high school and I was living in Santa Fe and I was looking for jobs and I ended up getting a job at this coffee shop. Um, and I had seen these people around for a while. Like I was like a young queer kid and I was like poking around for things to do and, you know, who'd meet or like just being like, what the fuck am I doing in this world? (laughs) And, um, and I ended up moving in with um, these two people, one of which has been interviewed on this podcast, Amaryllis de Jesus Molesky, who's just so epic, and, and uh, this other person, Antoinette, um, I'm dropping your names. <laughs> but, you know, and I have very different relationships with both of them, but both of whom are just so brilliant in the world and in the way that they are. Um, and I just had never received love in that way and seeing certain things mirrored back to me that felt very very vulnerable and I didn't understand how to articulate or how to relate to um but was able to just like create relationships that I think had I not met them my life would be extremely different you know like I I am forever changed by the people that have come into my life and I owe them like everything you know and I I firmly believe like in that context like we raise each other um, as creative people, as weirdos, as misfits or whatever. Like we're always raising each other and challenging each other. And also I had a friend of mine where I was like, I, I got raised, you know, there are certain ways that I got raised by my community um, that I found uh, as a late teen and in my early twenties. And my friend was also like, you raised yourself, you know, like you had to fight through a lot to like create the life that you live and I think both are true. You know, we never get anywhere by the skin of our own teeth. And we also have these beautiful, can have these really beautiful experiences um, that, you know, through all our relationships, I'm like, oh, right. Like, that's why no one is disposable, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, that's why we're raising each other, because we actually have to. We don't, when when you live in that position of navigating your mental health or, um not seeing yourself mirrored back in the world in the way that you deserve, like your relationships become everything because those are your mirrors, you know? Mm. And when you don't see yourself mirrored back by popular culture, by mainstream, how does that make you feel? And, and where does that take you? Like, how do you find the strength to survive and to carry on and to continue to find that beauty and that strength within yourself? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've definitely had a lot of lows, <laughs> you know, cause it's not even like pop culture. It's like your neighbors, you know, it's like going to the grocery store and being like, I don't belong here. <laughs> like I am an alien on earth, you know, but you know, and that's also like, it's like, no, like you make space for other people. Like when you choose your walk, you know, when you walk your walk, you're also like giving other people permission you know, even if there's resistance and fear. Um, and that's also like a privileged perspective, you know. 
Um, because I just like want to say like we also live in this world where like if you are a black trans woman you have so much less access to work to community and there is just like a high murder rate and death rate there that is like so deeply troubling about like the depth of the racism and transphobia and in particular like femphobia and and fear of femininity and strength and those board again those like lines that it gets crossed you know and so I'm like um but those are also role models like drag queens are role models like trans women are these like pinnacles in queer culture where it's like oh right like you've held the space for everyone else um and these histories of like you know the the uh gay rights movement that's been so whitewashed Mm. in the United States and become so much about creating another normative um you know like that shit was held down and the radical side of that was held down by trans women and particularly trans women of color so I always want to be like you know that's actually like where where that strength also comes from of like you know, even though I'm not directly related to those people necessarily, like that, those are queer ancestors, like those are the stories. And so I'm like, that gives me strength, like to know that like, oh, right, like there's a, there's a reason like we have a place, like it's important. Um, it helps for the future. And also like knowing that like, it's hard to be fucking different. It's hard to be, choose your magic, you know, it's hard to, um, disrupt the status quo um and I think that's been a huge thing that I've dealt with in moving back to New Mexico like I had been living in sort of a space where uh the dialogue around gender or queerness or whatever like there's a lot of amazing cultural production around different versions of embodiment and gender and post-gender and like all these things and then moving back and being like oh that is not where I am anymore and where was that that you were living and experiencing that um I was living in Philadelphia Pennsylvania and um yeah and I had had like you know I had had friends that were living in the Bay Area like these little like kind of spaces where people go to but also like in the Bay and in Philly you know there's this whole thing about like people fleeing their homes and going to the cities when you're queer and and people don't return but the reality is part of what's happening in all these cities is just mass gentrification, you know? Um, and my learning experience with going there is I'm, I made relationships that I will have for the rest of my life. Like people that I just carry with me all the time. Um, and that I feel like I owe so much, um, and who really welcomed me. And at the same time, it's not my home, you know, and that whole conversation about where we belong and how we tread and all that stuff. And I, I, I'm so grateful that that got to be my place. And then also being like, there are people that are from there who live there who are being displaced all the time, you know? And kind of wondering what my place was there. Like, we're all part of the the the, the machine, right? Like, it's like, how do I, I don't know how not to be a gentrifier. And it's like, well, unfortunately, it's really a fucking giant machine. And how you resist it is by creating relationships, actually and not buying into the narrative of cleanliness and like, you know, gentrification, gentry, you know, like, yeah, you want another fucking coffee shop to go drink a latte at? Or do you want like a place where people can buy food and, and, you know, like, but everything gets co-opted, you know? And so I, I didn't, 
I didn't want to stay there because I was I love visiting there I love that I get to have that like it's actually really a resource and like I would be lying if I wasn't saying it and it's a resource that I tap because that's where my people are like I tap my resources all the time and that's part of how I you know make it work where I am is I have a lot of really good friends where I am and also we're all tapped out you know like people have jobs and families and are doing a lot of really hard work and are also surviving a lot of really intense shit and so like it's amazing to have a web and a network to pull on that validates your existence even if you're not able to feel like you can do it yourself um Mm -hmm. and so like I'm you know like it's wild because I don't love social media for a lot of reasons but it's amazing amazing connection tool for being able to like Instagram or something like that like being able to see pictures of my friends and be like look at you doing your thing you know (laughs) and it's not like it's people like chop it up like people are posturing or look at you know like always taking the best picture you know I'm like no for me that's like it's crazy because I feel like it's surveilled or some you know intense (laughs) shit but I'm also like thank you for being in the world and thank you for like I feel you in my heart and I'm so grateful to see what I see and I know it's such a like a snapshot weird representation of what your reality actually is it's not that at all you know but like yeah like oh my god like that's sustenance you know like um and then it's also something I get to take into rooms with me when I have to sit down and be like okay let's it's time to have this conversation about this dynamic or this event and be like, the reason I have that conversation is because I'm connected to all these other people I'm accountable to, you know? I know you're involved in a lot of like nonprofit work, a lot of teaching, a lot of a lot of this stuff that sustains you so that mm-hmm. you can create work and art. So so when you have to go into these places and sit in these rooms, how do you interact? How do you feel? What do you do? I feel completely <laughs> irreverent and insane. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then I'm out. <laughs> oh, my God. I think like to preface all that is like it's so weird to find myself in those settings because there are these settings that are like chalked up as like the good work or the this and that. And the reason I'm there is because I couldn't swing working in restaurants Um, I couldn't swing working in restaurants because it was just too toxic for me, you know? Um, and I also am like, I have like sensory overload, like places that are busy and loud. I like, just feel like I dissolve into the environment and I'm like a weird, like octopus, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what to do with my tentacles, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just like hard for me. And I've worked in uh, bars. I worked in restaurants. I've I can I can hustle, and I know I can hustle. And there's something really great about that. But um, I a part of me dies a little too. Like I just I I I it's toxic for me, unfortunately. And I started working in nonprofits because it was like, oh, you're creative and you're good with kids. Um, and that's how it happened. You know, I, I don't have a degree. I have really tried to go to school and I just keep failing at it miserably. Like I get good grades, but I'm not good at just kills your soul a little bit or what (laughs) and I don't feel like that's you know I there are so many people where I'm like I'm so grateful that they choose higher education I'm so grateful that they go into fields and that's one of the ways that they fight and that's one of the ways that they resist um and also it's one of the ways that people get access like I think that it's a really real system for a lot of people that has a lot of codes and meaning um And so, like, wanting to respect that, being like, I don't have, I can't, like, hate on college, (laughs) you know, like, at all. And that comes from the fact that, like, you know, my dad is a professional. My dad went to undergrad and graduate school. My mom worked her way through college when I was little and never used her degree, you know, because she was like, I can't make, I can't do this, you know, like, I can make more money or survive on my terms um, doing this other shit that was also really hard and also had its own class code around it and all these things. But, you know, like, I know that there's a lot of privilege there. And also, it was so wild to, I was one of those kids that was like told, you know, like, where are you going to go to college? It's time for you to apply to college. And I did. And I, um, and that um, was something that I did because I was like, okay, right, you know, awesome. And I just, every time I couldn't find my people and I think it was a real mental health struggle actually like when it comes down to it it's like you know (laughs) I like really like I believe in alternative education and I chose these liberal arts colleges where I was like oh my god this is like where white supremacy thrives you know where you become (laughs) utterly tokenized and it's like this is the same machine it just has a different face and if you can't find the support to help you get through that, if you're one of the people being tokenized or you can't find your mirrors back, I think people aren't real enough around how hard that is on people. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't have the family support in terms of the mental health um, aspect of it to get through it or the community support. And I found myself in a lot of rooms where I was like, and that article we read that said savage in the middle, like, actually, that's really racist. And like, if you're in a room full of 18 year old college kids, like you need to preface that you need to preface the time period because this is like coded knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like this is where the production of racism is happening in the arts conversation. Like I remember sitting in a drawing class and reading this article and just being like, and nobody's exp- like most of these kids are white in this class like there are two brown kids like okay and like sitting down with that teacher and I think being that kid all the time that's like I'm gonna go hit up my teacher and we're gonna have a legit conversation and oftentimes those teachers are white oftentimes those teachers are straight and there's a lot of like apologetic weird dynamics in that and then they start listing their people of color colleagues and what projects they've been on our panels or whatever and you're like but you're you're not meeting this group of young people with the information that you should be giving and if you're really about racial justice or whatever that actually means you know Mm -hmm. um 
Um, and then also just seeing people get away with all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just felt isolated. Like I was like, oh, these aren't, I don't know. I can fight this all the time, you know? And I think it's really real that sometimes college isn't about learning, you know? It's about how you learn to interact with the system mm -hmm. and the code and mm -hmm. um, whether or not you choose to internalize it or not. And there's a point at which like, it's hard not to, like you are forever changed by your experience. Like, um, and so I think that I am one of those just really hype, like fiery personalities in that way where I, I didn't have the support to bring me back down. Like it's, it's like when you're going into battle and you end up adrenalized um, and you know, whatever. And so I found that I was also, I'm also dealing with that, you know, in a lot of nonprofits too. Like not to say that people are not good and not to say that people do not have like really beautiful, caring parts, you know, like I really believe in people. Like I, I, I do, like I believe in my relationships and all these things. And at the same time we're in a beast, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, working in nonprofits and when I say like sitting at the table, it's like, you kind of put on your armor and you put on your patience and you put on your compassion. And then you also need to like learn to read the code of your own code that you're bringing and the code of the table. And that can get really messy sometimes. Like I think we're emotional. Like I'm a very emotional person and, um, and that's part of it. And some people don't like, I know some people who are just like so straightforward and like got it on lockdown. And I'm like, I'm too much of a mess. Sorry. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so like, yeah, like I think, you know, being in these situations, I've had to like take breaks. Like I'm like, I can't work in this situation right now. And I think part of it is like for people, and I've been learning this more of like learning how to take up space in different ways of like, sometimes it doesn't make sense to be loud. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to fight. And sometimes even when you're not fighting, people are going to come for you like you are because of their own shit, you know, and sometimes you'll get thrown under the bus for all kinds of reasons and how you like resilient your way through it is really up to you. And I really believe in, in taking breaks and in being like, Oh, I actually have to reevaluate myself for a while because this brought me down this whole rabbit hole and chain reaction of shit that actually is parting me from what I'm actually supposed to be doing and, and, and my own accountability ultimately like, Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's like speed up, slow down, take a break, you know, nap it out, you know, <laughs> like do what you gotta do, <laughs> you know, like make some shit for a while. And also you have to make money. Like it's wild to have to work. Like I think for queer and trans people, it's really real that working, most environments are extremely homophobic, extremely transphobic, extremely gendered, and then add other layers of identity, you know, like um, our queerness isn't apart from our um, other identities, be it like our cultural identities or whatever. They're totally built in, right? So for me, I'm like my identity and my narrative of mixedness and also like confusion and and, and um, all these things. Like I, I, I'm constantly having that mirrored back to me and having to evaluate where I stand with that. And um, a lot of environments are hard and I think nonprofits are hard for that reason because they can be very tokenizing and um you're supposed to be the one you know it's like 
I like go in there and I'm like, oh, I'm not here with my team. You know, I'm not here with my community. I'm not here with my crew. I'm here alone or I'm here with one other person that maybe has some crossover identity with me or maybe has a similar analysis, but we don't know each other. And like being like the system sort of keeps us separate, right? Because it, it, it keeps us from being less strong, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like picking and choosing um, um, for what's comfortable, you know? United Colors of Benetton commercial type <laughs> shit where yeah. it's like one of everything. I know. And you're like, I I mean, and it's it's wild because I sit at tables with my friends and we all have very different identities and upbringings. Mm. And even those of us who may be in the like Western white supremacist identity politic maybe have the same identity. It's like no fucking way, you know? Yeah. And, um, and coming from that, of like that gets in in this liberal mindset it's like oh you're the rainbow (laughs) you know or whatever and you're like no we're not we're you know we're a black cloud of doom you know like don't call me a fucking rainbow (laughs) you know and uh (laughs) and and then going into these rooms of being like oh i i just experienced this thing that's that's alive and complicated and filled with conflict and and suddenly it's like you know and like the crickets and so that's what I mean when going to the table like when you're like oh I feel like I'm having to do something alone that is connected to something that's more deeply at work in my life and it it doesn't feel like it totally exists but I'm having to like hold it and I'm having to like have a conversation and call something out and and also teach you know and sometimes you're like, is this my place to do this right now? But nobody else is doing it. And so you have to like kind of give in to like, oh, maybe I'm going to do this fucking wrong. And you have to be okay with the fact that you might be doing it wrong. Um, but it's like knowing that you're in it with a lot of other people and you can bring that vulnerability. Like I did this thing today and I don't know what it means or, you know, but I I knew something was wrong and I had to have a conversation about it. I had to like say, this makes me feel like a little bit bananas you know because it doesn't feel okay you know and sometimes you have to do that like with like this construct of language like you know what you're talking about you know like I'm gonna pretend like I've read all those motherfucking books that I haven't read (laughs) you know (laughs) but I like you have the yearning in your soul and I think that that Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a friend of mine because I know that I'm also like a hella brainiac like I can I process a lot of information really fast and I'm very hungry for information and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's really destructive. And she was like, I just don't know how you do it, like you, how you store all that information. And I was like, I don't know, like maybe it's like feeling it. Like this, we're so, I think in, and in that creative artistic vein, like it, a lot of things are also about feeling and intuition and our bodies are these just like incredible systems and knowledge carriers and um and being like if you feel it maybe try and learn about what that feeling is and where it comes from and that's been my survival strategy in in trying to understand why as a as a young person why I have these different moments where I like literally just want to die you know like we're not supposed to talk about mental health because it makes you more broken And you're, I'm like, you know, I feel like I've already been in this setup a lot in my life where it's like, oh, you're broken, you know? And I'm like, actually, no, I'm not. Like, this is a code. Like, again, this is another layer of like all this information. And so in art or in 
my personal practice. Like I'm always working with the code. Like I'm not exempt from it ever. Like my body is a code, you know, um, my, the words that I use, the way I talk, it's all a code. Um, and we're all kind of like, we get to, you know, it's like you get to figure out how you're going to glitch it, you know, (laughs) but also how you're going to own it, how you're going to use your code. And I think in a lot of those places, I'm like, oh, I have access to certain kinds of spaces because I have light skin, because um, I'm attractive in a certain kind of way, because I'm acceptable, you know, in these certain things. And also, like, I'm really freaky. Like, I've found myself in these situations where it's been, like, other freaks who've used their code to make it work, you know, and get access and all of that. And sometimes, unfortunately, when you, you start to get access in certain kind of ways, you start to kind of assimilate into that. And that's sort of like the uh, the power of of <laughs> capitalism, you know. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is nice, <laughs> you know. And I'm not gonna hate on people like getting, you know, getting their bills paid and being able to feed their babies and make what they make. And also, yeah, it's it's layered, <laughs> it's complicated, you know. <laughs> <laughs> about patience and having patience when you enter spaces and when you're kind of just navigating your life in general and it seems so complicated to have to have that patience with people who present themselves in a way as if they have arrived and if they know already (laughs) almost as if they know more than you or something you know I think that there comes a point like you said where people just accidentally assimilate into the machine, into the monster, Mm -hmm. and don't realize that they're participating in the very thing that they're fighting. Mm -hmm. And so how do you stay sane in that respect? Like, what's what's your trick? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's so weird. I don't know. I feel like I think about grace a lot. Like, I think... um, it's funny because when I went to liberal arts school <laughs> for a year, um, my, the, the president of the college made this speech about grit. <laughs> he was like, you know what's great about this school is these students have grit. And I was, <laughs> and what was funny about it, it was like, oh, this is like an outdoorsy college that's like filled with like mostly like white students wearing Patagonia gear. <laughs> <laughs> and no one talks to me because I will have a buzz cut and wear muscle shirts and studded belts everywhere, you know, whatever. <laughs> and whatever, like that cone. <laughs> but I think that stuck with me where I was like, oh, grit, like, what is this? And I've heard other people in my life use that word. Actually, Amaryllis has used that word before. And grace, you know, like, how do you have grace? And I don't always have 
grace <laughs> you know like it's incredible to be patient and you like have patience and you tap that well of just like waiting and watching and listening and we live in a very reactive space a lot of the time like culturally like with social media it's like Bleh! you know everybody's just like puking all the time you know <laughs> like oh that's such a good way to put it <laughs> You know, and so it's like crazy to like sit and wait something out, and it's so painful. <laughs> like, like it's like really uncomfortable to like sit through shit and sit through your own existence and and be like, oh no. <laughs> and and um and it's really vulnerable. Um and I and I struggle with patience all the time. I I don't know how to do it, and I I got called out the other day by my date who was like you just go you move so fast you're just moving so fast you know and I was like it's true <laughs> I'm moving way too fast I'm being so intense right now um and so I think about grit and like you know I use the word magic and that can mean a lot of different things and I think when I use that word I just mean like keeping the sparkle you know like I um had, I, I was talking to you the other day about like going to CVS and getting like a bun maker <laughs> like for your hair you know it's like yeah I not, later not learned an oven, like <laughs> for your hair like I later learned from my other friend that in in middle school they used to make them with tube socks and I was like oh I could have saved five dollars but I didn't know about that because when I was in middle school I was like I don't I don't do girly things like you know I was like begging for like the weird cogger pants with like the zip legs so you could turn them into shorts you know like that's where I was you know like I was like no buns for me but you know <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about so horrible it's like lesbian stereotype it's real i know i lived that I was, luckily i was a little ahead of the curve when i was 12 i like graduated um if you're still wearing the zip off cargo shorts like do you it's like, cool <laughs> it's really smart actually. and they're usually like some weird like lightweight like wicking material which is also really useful um <laughs> Again, do you rock it so hard? Um, but <laughs> you know, like, and and coming into my queerness in all these different ways at different times. But I had, you know, I had my hair short for many years. Like I, you know, I shaved my head as like a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, and and then you know went through all these fluid transitions, and and then was like, oh, I'm trans, you know. And to me, that meant at that time that a lot of the pressure was like, oh, you have to become a man. And I was like, that doesn't feel right for me. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I, I need to like follow myself. And it's so wild because, um, getting access to hormones is a really complicated thing and can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. And I, through a doctor who had never treated trans patients before, like, I was able to get a prescription for testosterone, but it was like my hormone levels weren't regulated. Like I kind of was figuring it out by myself. Like I had a little bit of supervision. It was really weird and shitty going into the doctor's office and into that clinic. And, and, um, and I didn't stay on them. I didn't want to. I knew when I started that I didn't want to stay on them. Um, but I knew that there was like this thing and, and it caused a lot of ripples in my family. 
Um, you know, it's like people got really freaked out and, you know, also in my community or whatever. But I also had like a number of very supportive people who are down to have different conversations and other people in my life that were transitioning or on hormones. Um, so it was really amazing that I had access to that. Um, but like for many years presented very masculinely and I was working at an elementary school and my, I had had my hair like in a buzz cut and I was growing it out. And I just had this fantasy of like having this high side bun, <laughs> like growing <laughs> my hair out long and wearing this like epic high side bun. And so I'm like sitting there like in the gymnasiums after school program and my, you know, co-teachers are, you know, come up to me and they're like, oh, I noticed you're growing out your hair, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I really want an epic high side bun. <laughs> they all laughed at me. <laughs> Like I was joking, you know? <laughs> and look at you now. I know. And so I went and got my bun maker and my hair's locked and it's like I have an epic high side bun, you know? <laughs> like, And it's like that sparkle of like, it's really hard out there, you know? I'm not going to pretend I have any of the answers. And I think sometimes it's way better to be like the in the shit show that it is your life. And also my life isn't a shit show. Like my life, I hold it down really well. I have really fucking good people. I, I do my shit. I'm caring, you know, I, I'm very good at practicing like self care, like these things that I've decided to dedicate myself to because, you know, I can't not like, I don't want to drown in alcohol, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't want to be a tragedy, you know, I want to be like a, an option. Um, and, um, and also be like, this is what it looks like to show up to other people as you are and it's good and it's possible and I know it's scary and then being like and you have to have a sense of humor you know I have to be like I want to wear the rhinestone encrusted thing or you know whatever like I <laughs> like I like my platform shoes thank you and my mini shorts and also like this is part of my my gender this is part of my transness this is part of my queerness this is part of what makes me um, something that's good and worthy in the world, um, and in a in a in a, such a misogynistic, femphobic, um, transphobic, racist, appropriative, exploitative society, just on like so many levels. Like I'm like capitalism keeps you know, mm -hmm. and it's hard not to buy into it. Like I definitely benefit from my thin privilege from my light skin privilege from all these things and also you just have to come as you are you know um and I've had to sit through a lot of hard conversations you know and be like okay like let me think about that you know and we owe each other a lot for that because there's that's always going to be coming up is these different ways that we navigate our own code or internalize it or or you know all this shit and so being like if you can come with as much magic as possible um and continue to hold it down like please do like you are needed and you are loved and you are important you know mm. um and also like we should be creative with our genders you know like there was this great quote, there's this person, Alok, who I don't know personally, but I follow on the internet, who is this amazing trans femme and, and writes a lot. And I know so many amazing also trans femmes and particular trans femmes of color. Um, my friend Che Gossett also, who is an incredible scholar. And I'm going to name drop because I'm also just like, these are resources. These are like amazing people who 
um, I just see being incredibly kind to other humans also. Um, and, and I think that also my friend Shay is like, I'm like, you are, you're just a very kind person. Um, and I appreciate that when it also comes, packs with the punch of just like utter brilliance, you know, and just being like, we live in this world that is going to demonize you if, if you embody certain things. And I like always too much, always not enough. Like that's a thing that I come back to of like, oh, that's my internal narrative and my trigger. I'm always going to feel like I'm too much and I'm always going to feel like I'm not enough. Mm. Not always maybe, you know, but that's something that I work with in my my struggle you know and and in in relating to even art also like I don't know about this art world shit like I don't know I don't have a I uh I interviewed a a, somebody as a housemate uh, who I like met over Craigslist he was like you know oh you you do this kind of work oh we're colleagues and he started lifting listing off his credentials and I was like I don't list my credentials ever like, <laughs> like what are you? Okay. Are you uh, addressing in front of me yeah, no, totally. with your credentials? <laughs> like, also just like, I don't have those. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, and it, and that stuff is always wild in terms of being an artist. Like, you have your CV, or you have your schools that you went to, or you have your shows that you were in. And I've been in shows and and all those things, and also. It's so weird because, you know, I've had a lot of experiences where it's like, oh, you don't want all of what I have to offer. You don't want to put my artist statement up on the wall or you don't like you don't you you don't really want what I have. Um, And that's also complicated. I think people make all kinds of different choices about how they navigate that setup. And so I really don't want to disrespect anybody. and also, like, I I don't know where I fit in that yet. You know, like, I, I'm like, people are like, late bloomers are great. Like, you don't have to be successful, you know? And I, I, I'm like, oh, right, like, this this um, this elevator success spectrum thing is, is such a setup because I see a lot of people get really damaged mm-hmm. through it. And I, again, with the sparkle and with the grace and with the grit and with the care of, like, how do we not eat each other alive? um in 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 trying to feed ourselves and feed our loved people and our families and and there's a lot of that you know a lot of a lot of shit to talk you know mm-hmm. and granted like I gotta emotionally expel and talk some shit about some real stuff a lot and also like you gotta be careful too because you don't want to be chewing people up um like when you could actually be sitting down with them and having a real conversation and being like, look, hey, you know, mm-hmm. that's that reminds me of grace, you know, mm-hmm. of that space of forgiveness and respect. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a really beautiful thing to remember. Like, it's OK to be angry, but <laughs> sometimes it's like, how much are you projecting versus how much? Are you like engaging in a cyclical experience? <laughs> mm-hmm. And how do you get yourself out of like a bad pattern? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes leaving, you know, like it's, it's sometimes it's okay to get up from the table and be like, I don't, I don't have any more answers. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing what I need to be doing. You know, even when it's like people feel abandoned or angry with you or judgmental, it's like sometimes we have to get ourselves out of a, a pattern or a habit 
because it's not only destructive to ourselves but to other people you know yeah um and that's painful and it's okay to feel pain like it's okay to be really angry and be in a lot of pain about your art um as a tool growing up into being who you are today mm-hmm. um and so now today what is it to you i mean i'm sitting here in your studio slash house and looking around and seeing all the various layers of your work um and where are you now with it I don't know. <laughs> um, I know that I have to make it. I know that it's like this, it's like not having the answer, you know? Like, I think it's, again, being like, I can't not. And I've thought about that a lot. Like, why am I doing this? You know, what What? Is, what the fuck am I? Like, oh, cool, you know? Like, I don't want to be in the world just making pretty clutter. But at the same time, I it's that shit. Like, my grandpa is like, you waste your time if you don't make something every day, you know? <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, that's a that's a real inheritance. Um, and it's also really important to honor um, is that, like, my grandpa, you know, I think about him a lot and probably more than I do any of my other ancestor relatives that I've had the um, the privilege to know in my life, you know. And I say it's a privilege even if I have a hard <laughs> time with them, even if it's been a really tricky, shitty relationship, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like no, like, I knew them and they're people too, you know. But that... <sighs> he's he was very creative you know he um he grew up in a conservative nebraska community that was very rural and he joined the military as people did in that era you know um and then he went to college under the gi gi bill which both of my grandfathers did and he was always artistic and weird you know for where he was and where he grew up and how what he was surrounded by he was very different and um my mom talks about that like my mom grew up in a military family and moved a lot as a kid and was raised like very catholic and um also in this weird kind of conservative white environment and um and she met my grandpa and she was like she had never met anybody like him you know she was like he was and he was the first person I ever met that believed in me and that's Mm -hmm. a huge huge thing like she had never heard like going to college to like just learn you know she was told you become a nurse or you become a teacher and that's what you do you know and um and so 
you know, he's this interesting character that exists in my landscape. I actually didn't grow up around him very much. I saw him once or twice a year. I probably know him the least of all my cousins. You know, I have two other cousins um, on that side. And and at the same time, he's this, this huge kindred spirit in my life um, where I'm like, oh, my grandpa, you know. And we're, we've never really held down a huge conversation. Like, we just hang out and it's like, you know? <laughs> but it's it's cool you know like i sat with my grandpa and make stuff or you know and kind of like trusting that i have to honor that because uh, there's some, otherwise something would be highly like amiss and like unright in my life and that's such a weird thing to say but i'm like oh i gotta i have to honor that inheritance actually like there's some inheritance that i actually am always going to be working out and like I think that that whole thing of like artists are just like these lonely weird geniuses or like, you know, like there's like, it's like, what the hell is that shit? You know? Cause I'm like, actually like everything that I am is because of these people. Even if there are ways that like, I don't have a great relationship with my family. I don't have a great relationship with my parents and it's, and I've had a really hard time being like, Oh, it's because you're a spoiled brat or it's because you're, and it's actually like, oh, I just learned to really judge myself really harshly because of the society we live in. And actually, there's real things that are really hard. Um, and acknowledging that stuff out loud is, like, really taboo. Um, and and being like, I get to love them and say thank you and also be like, I have been so damaged and hurt by your bad behavior, what you didn't give me that I needed and I'm hurt you know mm -hmm. um and that's also a part of creativity like how to have those conversations with yourself and learn how to like love people while they while they are themselves you know um and and so like when I make something I'm I have all the, all the conditioning of my entire life when I make it, you know? And so in my art practice now, it's like, when am I like resisting conditioning? You know, when I'm, when am I like, when do I need to have this kind of dialogue? When do I need to let go? When do I need to like, not ask when do I need to, <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, yeah, totally. like, it's like, don't like stop thinking or do think or look at it at the end and wonder what it's doing in the world. Um, and luckily, like, it's this thing of like, because of that, I get, to, I, I gift a lot of my shit, you know, like I've been in shows, I've kind of done that, but I don't really like coming up that way. It doesn't feel right for me. I don't want to claim certain kinds of cultural space as a dot, 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 because that's not what I, that's not my inheritance. You know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of people who got born into art families in a certain kind of way or like native art families or who are in the world being like, I am a trans queer artist. I am a black trans queer artist or whatever their identity markers are that they are using and also like really challenging those barriers. And it's incredible. Um, and and being like, what the fuck is up with this, you know, at the same time. And, and so we all have these different levels of work that we take on based on what we inherit and also what gets placed on us when we walk into these different situations. And, and so I'm still figuring out what that looks like for me. And I love sharing it. Like I make it because of my, my people, you know, whether they're my blood or whether they're my friends. And so I like giving shit to, to my friends. I like being like, I spent like 
three weeks on this, like every night. <laughs> like, here you go. <laughs> you know? Love ya. <laughs> you know, and like whether or not they want it or, <laughs> you know, like sometimes I'm getting thrown away later. I'm like, well, I guess it's not my business. <laughs> you know like (laughs) you know like uh, like value is so um so subjective you know Mm -hmm. and 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 I've also made money off my art like I've sold paintings and um and that's great too you know I like paid my rent because I got to participate in the thing and made 600 bucks you know and then that pay my rent the next month like I'm absolutely grateful for that I don't think I could all all the way function that way like I I believe I'm one of those people that's like I gotta you know I'm like I'm gonna try and go to cosmetology school you know I I grew up my stepmom cut hair I saw cutting hair all the time I learned how to do it and also I do it like in the most bootleg way like maybe I learned how to do it right you know Mm -hmm. or the, the the educated way or whatever so that maybe I can make some money off of it um and that's sort of how I operate around it of like, I don't have a lot of answers or a trajectory. And it's so interesting. We're supposed to have trajectories, you know, we're supposed to have a five-year plan or whatever. And I'm like, some of us live in a more precarious space than that. And actually most people do. Um, and being a creative and artist is so funny because it's like, artist it's so people are like why do you do that it's so useless who pays money for that like all that things and I'm like I don't know <laughs> you know girl because I'll go crazy if I don't <laughs> no, totally because I'm that person like you know like <laughs> ADD you know whatever like I'm like also don't pathologize me with your like crazy ass shit and also don't say crazy but I'm gonna say crazy because I'm crazy you know like it's like all a lot you know <laughs> It's so much and so much and you got to just like learn how to sit with like the moment and also like be like what do you want me to say about you what makes you feel like in, when you're sitting down at a table with your friend and they're like don't say that that makes me feel like fucking shit <laughs> or like that feels like it's connected to the be like oh right and nobody say I won't say it around you be like oh how do I take this ripple of this interaction into the rest of my life and walk with it and feel it and be vulnerable about it about it and be like sometimes you say things that are really hurtful without realizing it and it's not like pc culture is so bullshit you know it's like about dignity like if you're sitting next to somebody like how do you treat them with dignity and that's why like even like this construct of being like asked like what pronoun you use or something like that and you know i like try not to be butthurt about pronouns and at the same time i think it's a really really powerful practice um about practicing consent with other people's identities which um in american culture this like weird hologram fucking crazy ass thing that is america that is just such an imperial beast like it's also like so much based on taking and lack of consent and Mm -hmm. it's part of like all these intense intense um painful traumatizing kinds of oppression of like oh, you don't learn how to ask each other um, and be that vulnerable. And we steamroller each other sometimes. And also we're humans, like we're going to mess up, you know, like we're, we're, we're complicated stories. Um, and I feel like the more that we get to like listen to each other's stories and hold our stories and sometimes our stories are taken from us or translated in really bad ways to us and working our ways through that um in, in our various disciplines and our various life paths and in how we choose to like put bread on the table is 
I think is really great, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'd like, I like rep that in that way of knowing that I, I'm not all like great at it. Like I kind of suck at that a lot of the time, like, but I believe in it and I try and do it. Um, and you just, you, you have to keep living and experiencing yourself too. Like that's important, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Hmm. I will not become like a ghost. I'm tired of singing songs that are about straight people. I lay in your bed. I touch your legs, your back, your head. This isn't all my sweet loving, but I brought it here to share with you. When I walk into a room, what's projected may not be the truth. The truth is deeper and prolonged. In some distant feeling song, but it keeps me dancing still. All the looks and you know who's, but I am not the moon, the sun. I am a trans one, and I grow with my body's hair. It can't go from here to there. I come with some soul surprises, with my flaws and compromises. And if I'm a devil's tool, then the devil is a butterfly. Changing before your eyes. I love you if you keep running. Take you with what you can. You might break my head, my heart, but I can hold my broken parts. You might not ever see me. Love me how I want to be. I'll walk away when it's time. I know how to sit in limbo fine. I can laugh and sing with joy. When I walk into a room, what's projected is not the truth. The truth is deeper and prolonged. In some distant feeling song, but it keeps me dancing through all the looks and you know who's. So I am not the moon, the sun. I am a trans one. Was there a person in your life that said something or did something to you that has specifically influenced you or changed you in a way that made you hold on to yourself? Um, yeah, I think I've had a lot of those conversations, actually. I think that the amount of times that I've been in crisis in my life, (laughs) and I've had to, like, sit down and be like, help, (laughs) you know, and I think a few things I actually was thinking about this, um, the other day, I, I got really triggered, um, because, you know, there's a lot of shit going on with, like, ethnic fraud and, like, these kinds of things, um, and it's kind of consistent. You know, it seems like it rolls around a couple times a year where there's somebody saying there's something that they're not. And it's it triggers me. Um, it feels really hard. It feels really connected to my own story. It feels like 
this moment of um, terror um, of like, I don't want to be a fraud ever. Like, I just want to be exactly what I am. And that's also really scary. And it's sad that people use certain things to like garner clout or money or whatever. And I don't really ever want to do that. I don't want to hurt people like that, you know? And it's a hard line to walk because also like there's so much essentialism and I sort of relate it to like, you know, a lot of times people compare being trans to like these ethnic frauds or something. And that's fucking crazy, you know? Like queer and trans people and non-binary people have existed forever. And we have a lot of different cultural contexts. And so there's like a lot of things that hit deep, you know? Um, and uh, I wrote somebody that I had met a couple years ago. And this is one version. I have two stories that I want to share. But one of them was like about vulnerability. Um, and they're like, one thing that you do really well is you are good at making yourself vulnerable. And vulnerability is hard. You know, it's like a weakness or something in, in this time and place sometimes in this very violent way. Um, and it's not. It's like such a strength. Um, and just coming coming as you are, you know, is, it takes a lot. Um, and coming with your questions and coming with your tenacity and like your resilience and, and knowing, knowing that that is valuable. Um... <laughs> And I really believe in that. I really believe in vulnerability. And then another one was um, I was having an identity crisis at one point. And I went on a walk with this guy who is like half Mohawk. And he, he worked at um, another place that I was trying to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this shit is like, it, it makes me feel crazy, you know. And I don't even, I don't really know if I should identify as Native. I don't know if I should... Um, yeah, like, and he was like, there are a lot of people that are going to say that you're not, you know, and rightfully so. And then there are people who are going to see these other things, you know, and, and also, yeah, right? And just understanding, like, there's some people who are going to get it, some people not, who some people are not going to get it with shit, some people are going to challenge you, and just walk in your vulnerability, like, come with your story. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and also don't have a lot of expectations, like, don't expect to get anything from somebody else, like, that whole thing of, like, don't be a vulture on somebody else's life. Like, you know, people who are appropriating all these kinds of things, they forget that culture is connected to individuals, and we are all culture creators, and we're all embedded in a lot of long stories. And um, and he told me, he was like, just don't take, you know? And he was like, that's what other people have told me. Don't take, you know? And, and I don't know him anymore <laughs> you know like I've seen him around a couple times you know like I don't I don't really know what he's about you know like but he offered me that you know and like that's that other thing of like in the spectrum of all of our lives and people you know like sometimes what people offer you maybe isn't like all of what they do in the world you know like um but we have a lot to glean from from certain kinds of interactions and learning to value things and be patient with other people and following our intuition to the next best thing. And then sometimes the next best thing is totally crushing, you know, like it's not easy. Um, but you like stick it out. Um, and you're like, how, yeah, how, how do you give instead? You mm -hmm. know, how do you figure out what that looks like? And sometimes you actually really need to receive, like not taking doesn't mean that you shouldn't 
be accepting gifts that are offered to you and openness. And I've sat at a lot of people's tables that have welcomed me in and accepted me into their families or let me sit at their table or um, taken me in as their chosen family. You know, like I, as a queer person, like chosen family is everything to me. It saved my life over and over again. And I believe that we sustain each other through our relationships. Um, And as people who oftentimes are very ostracized, um, so yeah, like what, yeah, what are like, you know, learn how to receive and also like, don't take from people, like mm. really show gratitude. And then maybe if something's shared with you in a certain context, like you don't, it doesn't ever need to leave that context, you know, <laughs> like just hold it, yeah. you know, and things are very precious and our lives are very precious. And, um, I love that Janelle Monet song, like to be victorious, you must find glory in the little things like I believe we're fighting a monster. We're all part of it. We're all in the monster and we have different choices. Um, And we're at this totally insane, precarious point in our story. And it's so scary. Like, I I think that everyone I know feels compromised on a regular basis uh, by all of the information that we're receiving about how fucked shit is, you know? Mm And so what is that balance, you know? Like, what are we really holding on for and holding on to? Um, and always renegotiating. We don't have the right answers all the time, you know? What would five things, ideas, or concepts that you would pack in a survival kit for today to be a monster slayer? <laughs> <laughs> to, be the, to be part of the monster If you could slayer. choose five things, just no more. They could be ideas. They could be tools. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Survival kit. Survival kit. I would love to pack like in like grace and ease. Definitely. Like how do you do the like shitty hard ass shit like with ease and humor like even while you're like busting up and sweating you know like (laughs) this is like gonna make me cry right now (laughs) you know like like oh oh god it's great it's fine but not even it's fine like this is so shitty um (laughs) um and that's grace and ease too um (laughs) um you gotta have like a really sick dance track, you know, like, totally. <laughs> or like whatever way you get free, like that, that thing, like the get free button where you're like, mm, okay, dance it out. Or like, you know, like if you pray or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, what's that feeling that gives you that next, that next sense of fuel? Um, the get free button. <laughs> <laughs> people to share it with you know like definitely crew is important and even if it's the crew that you just it's like that person you want to choke that day you know like (laughs) it's good to also invite them over and be like right you know like I gotta be humble about about what I'm holding for you against you with you you know um um but yeah crew is good like people your family whatever that means um, five, so I have three things. Um, a needle and thread. Yo, you gotta be able to sew some shit up. Like, we're always in mending. We're always in having to rip seams. Like, I love the metaphor of sewing. I think it's one of the reasons why I love sewing so mm-hmm. much. And it's a huge part of my personal practice is, um, a bunch of years ago, I wrote, uh, my mom was 
just losing her shit and was in uh, intense addiction situation and and I wrote this poem called Love Armor and it was about this cape like I'm a total cape nerd so I'm like maybe it's actually a cape maybe the, the fourth thing is a cape um, <laughs> with a pocket with needle and thread yeah, right but it was like you know we're um we're so many things colliding spun into a thread and guided through the eye of a great needle you know like that's we're a lot of collisions, a lot of us, um, and all of us probably, you know, whatever. I don't have anything to say. I don't know. Dude, I... Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, like, this, the, the process of creation is like you're working with the pieces that you have and figuring out how to make them work, you know? Mm. So you need a needle and thread maybe. Um yeah, and the last one is probably motherfucking water, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, take care of that shit, drink that shit, you know? Like, I guess that's, like, of course, we're in this moment of, of huge hugeness, but, you know, it's, like, I, I guess I, I grew up in the desert, and water scarcity was a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always been in that conversation. I'm also of, like, the apocalypse generation of, like, for my whole life, we've been talking about the apocalypse. Um, and... Um, and we're at this point where it's like, we got to take care of water ultimately. Um, and yeah. we need it. It feels good. Like I was joking about my, my, my date and I were like talking about like these hiking trails and they're like, she was like, it's the shortest hike ever. And like, everybody always wants to go to the waterfall. Like everybody wants to just go see the water. Like, I don't even know. Like, it's not even that. And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> always. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to go to see the waterfall. Everybody wants to be able to drink from the waterfall. Everyone wants to be able to swim in the waterfall. You know? <laughs> I want to take a little bit of the waterfall with you later. You know? <laughs> or else you'll die with that waterfall. <laughs> you need that. So I guess that's it. <laughs> But also water teaches us so much, like all the elements, you know, like you, you, you start to read into something and you can really read into it. Right. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good list. It's a good list. So this is your soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world and this is your platform, what would, what would it be? Mm-hmm. I think maybe think about disposability. Think about how we treat each other with disposability what and all the different ways that that can look. Um, think about the way we we are conditioned in disposability and the way that um, a lot of the things that are happening have to do with this this internalized sense of things being disposable. Um, and with no right answers, with no formula for success or failure around that, or right or wrong, um, with, like, all your agency, like, as a person, like, that you deserve, um, like, how do we, um, kind of create a glitch in the disposable mode of operations, um, with each other, and with our, our futures, and, and with what we love, and see, and choose to value, you know? 